Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Okay. So here is... And everyone knows Blood Origins. We just... We don't sort of pitter-patter around subjects. We just tend to sort of put the death blow question out in front and let people decide like how they want to handle it. You know, in today's day and age, the, the, the barriers of entry, the hurdles of entry into the hunting lifestyle are numerous. You know, access, if you're just coming into the sport, the barrier, you know, learning, mentors, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to use all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people will say this push that is for lead-free ammunition, this idea that we need to not use lead anymore, is just another cut, just another barrier of entry for hunters to be able to hunt. Brian, true or not true? Not true. Hannah, true or not true? Not true. I'm surprised that you both said that. Are you? <laughs> no, not really. No, not really. Uh, Brian uh, Bedrosian, 
Hannah Leonard. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I typically do a terrible job of introducing people, but today I'm doing a great job. Um, Brian, how about you give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do for your organization? I won't let it out the bag quite yet. I'll let you do that. And then yeah, you Hannah, can. you can introduce yourself. Sounds great. Um, yeah, so I wear a couple of different hats. Uh, the hat I think I'm going to be talking most with today is co-founder and director of an organization called Sporting Lead Free, um, where we promote the voluntary use of lead-free ammunition and tackle for hunting and fishing. Uh, but I also wear a research uh, biologist hat. I'm an ornithologist, a raptor ecologist. Uh, I'm the conservation and research director for a um, NGO called Teton Raptor Center. And I'm also um, as adjunct senior uh, research scientist at the Wyoming Natural Diversity Database at the University of Wyoming. And um, Brian, I think you need more hats. <laughs> <laughs> I also do have a company where I make and manufacture net launchers for catching. Oh, I was about to say, I, I thought you were about to say I have a company that manufactures hats. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome because we do buy a lot of hats. <laughs> Hannah Leonard. Um, my name is Hannah Leonard, and I am the outreach coordinator for Sporting Lead Free. Um, I That is my biggest, most official hat, but I also am the vice president of the Teton Valley Trout Unlimited chapter, as well as the president of the First Hunt Foundation Teton Valley chapter, <laughs> um, as well as, you know, many other things. But um, as far as so my day job is the outreach coordinator for... Lead sporting lead free sporting lead free sorry i could not get that off the road off my tongue sporting lead free um so let me ask this then that you both said no to my question as it being a barrier of entry um why why is it not a barrier of entry it's the easiest ammunition to buy it's the cheapest ammunition to buy why do you say it's not a barrier of entry if i have to find something that's scarcer and costlier Maybe I'll start. Um, and I think you said one word in that sentence that I think is the, the defining word. And you said, have to. You said, you have to. No one's saying we have to. Sporting Lead Free is not pushing mandatory regulations or legislation. Um, this is a an educational initiative um, to promote the voluntary use of lead free ammunition. And I, I believe that argument that this is a barrier to new hunters are folks that are um, concerned that this will become regulation and mandatory. And at this point, it's not, and nor do we think uh, the data support uh, that it should be at this point. Is sporting lead free pushing for it to be regulated? Hannah, this is a this is a, yeah. this is a an audio wanna, medium. I this didn't want to interrupt uh, Brian, but um, no, well, this is an audio medium. You can't just shake your head and people know what you're saying. Okay. I was I was going to see if if Brian wanted to continue that, but um, I'll take that one. We are absolutely not in the realm of pushing regulation or legislation, um, as Brian just said. The data show that that is not an effective way to move about this issue. And um, it's a very strong pillar that we stand on. And, and we do get that question quite often because past initiatives have gone mm -hmm. forward with that. Um, and there's a reason they aren't around. Um, and so we really stand on a, on a very firm foot on being non-regulatory, non-legislative. 
How long has Sporting Lead Free been around, Brian? So we uh, started building the bones and the framework for this about two years ago, and we launched uh, publicly about uh, a year ago. And Hannah's been doing an amazing job at getting that outreach um, out there. Uh, we are, have started, and our focus has been Wyoming uh, geographically, but very, very quickly realized that there is um, a lot of interest in promoting this nationally. And so we've pivoted a little bit and are working more towards uh, a national strategy in addition to what we're doing on the ground in Wyoming. Well, this podcast hits like 38 countries, I think. Which is why we're very excited um, to be talking with you today. And uh, it's it's crazy. This podcast is going nuts right now. Um, I think last month we had over 40,000 downloads in the month. Um, and yeah, I don't know, half we're projected to half a million potentially this year. So... It's, I love it because we have so many varied guests on here and so many varied topics that people can just like pick and choose, like what do they want to listen to? It? Oh, that subject really tickles my fancy, essentially. And uh, they're short enough, right? They're really short, sharp, and to the point. You don't sit there for two hours or three hours. It's 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Listen to it as you go to work. Well, and I think that really speaks well to this issue too because this issue is global. This issue um, affects... Hunters, anglers, and wildlife across the globe from stellar sea eagles in Japan and whitetail sea eagles in Europe um, to bald eagles and golden eagles in North America. So, um, and, you know, South America too, of course. So, Brian, in that laundry list of, in, of, of um, things that it uh, affects, you only mentioned birds. You only mentioned, actually, birds of prey. Is that all we're, in, is that all we're worried about here? Is the impact of lead in the ecosystem on birds of prey? The largest concern we have is lead in the ecosystem on birds. And, and birds' digestive systems are such that they assimilate lead at a faster rate than mammals. And we've had graduate students looking at lead ingestion in uh, scavenger species like bears and wolves and coyotes and cougars. Um, but by far, it's clear that the data are showing that birds, in particular scavenging birds like raptors are um, at highest risk. What do you think also, of that? Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, we, we also know that lead ingestion really affects other birds beyond raptors like doves, waterfowl, um, and other birds that are uh, uh, in... But does it really affect them because of the bioaccumulation through the trophic system? Well, there's... Like it does a bird of prey? There's multiple... No. It, not the bioaccumulation like a bird of prey, but the direct ingestion from spent shot. So waterfowl are directly ingesting spent shot from the bottom of the waterways. Morning doves are ingesting those pellets um, in, uh, they, they confuse them with grit. And so they're eating them. And they're in some of those really high dove uh, hunt areas, there's substantial mortality um, in the dove populations. But can we really talk about waterfowl? We've been shooting steel for forever now. In, yes, but that we have been shooting steel for waterfowl, but we have also been shooting lead for upland game. So the bioaccumulation for through upland game into raptors is also a potential. Okay, okay. I'm interested to hear your opinion. Hannah, this is... That science article that came out about American eagle, about bald eagles, and that, you know, the majority of them have 
lead in their systems. And they showed that um, the lead in their systems was causing population. And I'm just going off the top of my head after reading this, I think six months ago, whatever it came out, that the lead in their system was causing, they, they had two eagle species, right? It was bald eagles and golden eagles. Correct. Man, look at that. And the, the, the results were that it was slowing population growth rate by like one and three percent. It was an extraordinary small amount of effect on the population growth rate to a point where actually, if you looked at the data and you looked at their general population increase, it really wasn't affecting it at all, right? Well, so I would say to, to that article point, what was really unique for that article is that it was the first scientific article that showed a population level effect on bald and golden eagles. So prior to that article being published, right. a lot of other organizations didn't want to take a stance on lead because they said, oh, well, we manage wildlife as you know a population, not as individuals. So yes, lead ingestion might be impacting individual birds, but not the population. So what this paper was really highlighting is that it does in fact have population level effects. And yes, that might be a small percentage point, but that's still an, a population level effect. And if we did not continue hunting or we had not hunted with lead, the bald eagle growth would be far more than it is right now. And so that's really what we were excited about is just that that first point that I made that it's the first paper showing a population level effect of lead consumption in these raptor species. Yeah, it was a great paper. Don't get me wrong. It was a great paper. But when I looked at it, 39% population growth versus 40% population growth, very, very close, but certainly an effect in the population up, upstream. I think that... I think Going back to what you said, Brian, the key thing here is you didn't say it the way that I'm about to say it, but is you're providing an option. This is optional. This is something for you to think about. If you want to use it, great. If you don't, okay. Correct. I mean, at least that's that that is absolutely our take on it. I mean, my as somebody that is I'm a large hunter. I love hunting elk, pronghorn deer, um, usually harvest a few animals every year. I like to walk away from my gut pile knowing that I fed eagles in a safe way rather than knowing there's a chance that one or two of those eagles that fed on my gut pile um, may have died. Um, but yeah, 100%. Like, you know, will we get rid of lead out of the system? No. And do we want to, um, you know, from hunting? No. I mean, I still use lead at the range. I still use lead when I'm shooting clays. If there's no risk to enter the food chain, then I think using lead is a fine option. And most ammunition is sold for non-hunting purposes. And so we don't necessarily need to shift all of that manufacturing towards non-lead when there's no risk of wildlife effects. Hannah, do you have the statistics on the difference in cost? If someone uh, yeah. is going to say like, hey, I want to I, I I try it. So I love this question because as anything in our life right now, um, COVID really threw a big old wrench in that. <laughs> so sure. um, right now, it really depends on the manufacturer and the caliber. So for example, we do shooting demos throughout the state. And in order to do that, we have to have a supply of ammunition. So when we first launched this last May, 
um, ammunition prices, both for lead and lead free, were astronomical. Um, you know, you're paying seventy, seventy five, eighty dollars mm-hmm. a box for for twenty rounds. Um, I just purchased some lead free ammunition for a demo the other day um, from Federal, their copy trofer line, <laughs> cop. Oh my gosh, trophy copper line, and um, it was it was forty dollars for that box. So when you're what caliber asking, is that, Tana? A thirty out six. Okay. And so when you are comparing, like, say, your Remington Corlock ammunition, which is your least expensive big game ammunition, typically you can find on the shelf. You know that love might... Remington Corlock. That yeah. is exactly what I use. Two seventy Remington Corlock. Yeah. So wait till you see how that fragments. But so you can. Oh no! I know that. how it fragments. I've, I've bitten into meat. <laughs> Yes. That has fragments of my lid in it. So when you're comparing Remington Corlock prices with a lead-free option, you're going to have a, a more substantial cost difference, you know, 10 to $20, depending on the caliber. Now, if you're shooting Nosler Acubond or Nosler Partition, and then you switch to a lead-free, sometimes the lead-free, so Nosler E-Tip is their lead-free line, that might even be less expensive. So it's a hard question to answer, but in mm. general, you'll find a price difference from lead to lead free of about the max, probably, you know, $20 if you're going from Corlock to E-tips um, and, you know, more than that. But it's for us, that cost is is worth it because we know, like Brian said, that we're providing an awesome meal to these scavenging species. And then we're also not bringing any of that home to bite into later. Or if we've got (laughs) kiddos or, you know, a pregnant wife at home, we want to make sure that people are knowledgeable about how their ammunition performs so that they can make that voluntary choice and say, okay, this is what I'm going to use because I feel this certain way, or mm-hmm. I know this now, so I can make that educated um, mm-hmm. decision on what I'm purchasing, regardless if it's going to cost me $10, $20 more. That's worth it to, to me, my values. Okay. So, you know, the next question, because you're, you're the outreach coordinator, these are the, the stock standard questions, right? Uh, and you just mentioned it, which is something I'm, I'm keen on in, in, in I'm keen on understanding more about. Yes, the bullets, the cost. Then there's the whole question of ballistics. It's not going to do what my lead ammunition does. In your explanation of the cost, you said that we do ammo, you do demonstrations. I don't want to call them ammunition demonstrations, but probably they are. Um, talk, t- tell me about that. Yes. So um, seeing is believing in a lot of these situations. 100%. Show, don't tell. <laughs> right. Show, don't tell. And so what we do during these shooting demonstrations is we set up these big shooting barrels is what we call them. And we line them up with water jugs. We shoot into the water jugs. These big barrels collect the fragments and the bullet. And then as you know, a group, we go up and we compare with that lead bullet aftermath looks like versus the the copper. So that in itself is just showing the fragmentation, right? So we also then shoot a clear ballistics gel to show through the wound channel what that bullet looks like. When you and me go to the shooting range to sight in our rifle, we're shooting paper. So a lot of people have no idea that when they shoot their lead ammunition and it impacts that animal, what that fragmentation looks like. And so Primarily in our shooting demos, we're not only showing how folks, we encourage folks to bring their own rifle and the ammunition they've been shooting so they can 
see. Um, I've had a lot of folks be like, oh, I shoot Nosler partitions. They don't do that. They do. Um, it might not be like Remington Corlock, but um, they do still fragment. So we not only do it for showing, you know, how the bullet looks in that regard, but then also comparing, you know, ballistically like, oh man, that copper bullet of the same caliber as the lead bullet that went through five water jugs before it stopped compared to the lead bullet maybe only went through three. And they're, they're very simplistic and they're ballistic. You know, we're not, I'm not out there doing physics. I'm not a ballistic expert by any means, but I know enough to know that at hunting ranges, at ethical hunting ranges, copper bullets are going to perform just like lead bullets. Um, everybody knows that, you know, sometimes you've got bad shot placement and sometimes you have to take a shot that might be a little bit hairy. And um, knowing from, from the mouth of Hornady engineers themselves, they just came out with their new monolithic line. It's called CX. It's replacing their GMX bullet. And they were asked if you were in a hunting situation, when would you use this lead bullet versus this new copper CX bullet. And the gentleman said, you know, if you're in a once in a lifetime hunt and you're in Alaska, you're in Africa, and you've got kind of a weird shot that you're going to have to take, I am by far going to choose that copper bullet over the lead bullet because I know that that copper bullet has the, the oomph to get through that animal and to push through bone if I have a hairy shot placement. And that coming from an ammunition manufacturer for me was just an awesome um, sell as far as choosing a lead-free ammunition um, from the ballistics engineering experts themselves. Mm -hmm. Hannah, it's easy for you to say. Right. Right? It went through three jugs. This one went through five jugs. You know, we're all on this call as with, with backgrounds in science. And science trumps. Peer-reviewed science trumps. Physics trumps. Ballistics Trump. So what does the science say? Brian, do we know what the science is? From uh, the ballistics standpoint of the published papers, and most of the ballistics papers on copper versus lead ammunition come from Europe, they are showcasing that copper is um, just, as, just as good, if not better, than their lead counterpoints. And again, like Hannah, I'm not a ballistics expert, but when you look at the data, um, there's there's very little reason to think that copper, um, the terminal ballistics are, are di much different at all than the lead counterpart. As Hannah said, at ranges, at, at you know traditional hunting ranges. If you're gonna shoot uh, and harvest an animal at 600, 700, 800 yards, maybe copper's not the right choice for you. So that's where, that's where the, the fallacy, not the fallacy, I wouldn't say that, but this idea that lead is far superior than copper. Is it, uh, what I'm hearing you say, there is a distance component here beyond which that is true? Yeah. So I will say this. Um, everybody I know, of course, obviously I'm in the lead-free world and I've been using lead-free for the past 15 years. No one has switched back. Once they switch to copper, they stay with copper because the, the performance is, is good. But yes, after if you're going to shoot greater than 500, 550 yards, I would shoot lead because it, the copper is going to have trouble expanding at that range because the velocity isn't enough to get that um, the metal to open like it does at 200, 300, 400 yards. Has somebody figured that distance out? Has somebody said like it's 300? 
So again, that depends on the ammunition manufacturer. So Hornady with their new CX bullet. You sound like a scientist. I'm it so sorry. <laughs> it depends. It depends. I know, no, I love I'm depends. So sorry. That's, no, but I love depends. It's you can look online at each different ammo manu ammo manufacturer's line, and um, I'm just going to use CX as an example because they're the newest one that came out. They they re-engineered their GMX bullet, this new CX bullet, to perform at longer ranges. So. Again, it depends on the caliber, but they say on average, this bullet will perform at 500 and, you know, a little 500, 550, depending on the caliber. Now, some calibers, they might not at that distance, you know, again, it just, it totally depends. And you need to know that before you go in the field, you should go to the range if you can hang out with us and shoot at those different distances, or, you know, at least just know, okay, I, if I am going hunting, my rifle sighted in, but I know I'm not going to shoot something past 400 yards. You know, just knowing that about yourself as a shooter. And and I would say for the most part, folks are taking their animals at, you know, sub 100, sub 200 yards, unless, you know, you're, you're a long range shooter. Black bear hunting might be, you know, different, but, sure. um, you know, it's really situational. And, and by far the most important thing besides ballistics, number one is your shot placement and having that practice. I don't want to, you know, say, oh, you just go out there and you just switch and it'll be fine. Like there are little finesses you have to make when you're switching from lead to copper and every shooter should go out as much as possible. Yeah, I know there's an ammunition shortage, but bear with me, folks. You know, like we just, you know, it's, it depends. It's depends. Yeah. So another point, Robbie, on the, on the, the perceived percept, the perceived performance difference between copper and lead is that there have been vast improvements in copper and lead-free projectiles over the past 20 years. So like when I first started using the Barnes um, TSX, it was the, the non-tipped bullet. Like I wasn't a big fan of that performance, but then they came out with the tip triple shock, which is um, you know, far superior, I think, in my opinion, than the, than the normal triple shock. So like, I think there's a lot of folks that maybe have tried it 10 years ago or 15 mm. years ago and weren't keen on it, but the, the, the newer ammunition is performing, um, way better than those earlier monolithic projectiles. Well, and I think waterfowl is a great example of this too. So Robbie, you mentioned like, oh, well, we haven't been hunting waterfowl with lead for years. And so in 1991, it was outlawed to hunt waterfowl with lead ammunition. And the only alternative at that time was steel. And, you know, lots of folks complained about crippling and et cetera. But now we've got bismuth, we have copper plated bismuth, we have tungsten, even the steel, like the geometry of some of those steel pellets has improved. Um, and just like our cell phones, my cell phone looked very different Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, 30 years ago. So, um, you had a cell phone 30 I years did ago? It. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Please, <Anna>. Holy smokes. <laughs> like yeah, coming out the room with a cell phone. I'm just in the future here, but it's, it's to show that, you know, this, if people are like, Oh, well, it's, I've tried it once and it was terrible. I'm never doing it again. You know, that's just like saying you had a Blackberry once and you're not going to use an iPhone. You know, it's just, if you think of it in that way. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the science and, and performance, there's a, a study I was thinking about as Hannah was talking about um, waterfowl hunting. And there's some really good data out of the Midwest, and they've been keeping track of crippling rates, um, you know, as estimated by hunters for the past 30 years. And if you look at crippling rates 
um, as self-reported by the hunters before the lead ban and after the lead ban, the perceived or the crippling rate did go up for the few for a couple years after the ban went in place, but then actually drip, drop, drop down to below what the levels were um, pre-ban, and it was attributed to hunters getting used to steel shot and how it performed. And as they realized how it was working in their guns, that crippling rate actually went down mm. because of um, they were thinking better patterning uh, of the steel shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian or Hannah, you can either, either of you can answer this question. Can you, do you have examples um, of where people have implemented lead free and the response. I know I was fortunate enough to speak with, normally my brain is brilliant, Chris, I can't remember Chris's Parish. last name. It's Parish. Parish, with the Peregrine Trust Foundation in Arizona. Uh, he talked about the Kaibab. The Kaibab being a very good example. Maybe you can start with the Kaibab and then give us maybe another couple of examples. Yeah, you bet. Um, and Chris is a good long-term uh, colleague and also friend and uh, um uh, one of our advisory council members on at sports. Bloody America. funny guy. Yeah, love that guy. He's he's mm-hmm. awesome to be in the field with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of the shining example of voluntary programs versus regulatory programs. So in California, set the scene for people for the Kaibab. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so California condors, critically endangered species in North America. Um, we removed all of California condors from the wild and started captively breeding them, and then. Um, with the success of the captive breeding, we started re-releasing condors back into the wild in several areas, um, some in California and one on the Kaibab Plateau in Arizona. Um, as a result of continued lead ingestion and deaths of California condors, um, California mandated lead-free ammunition statewide. Correct. And that went into effect in 2019 for all hunting ammunition across the board. Um, at the same time, Chris Parrish, Peregrine Fund, and Arizona Fish and Game were implementing a voluntary program uh, for to protect that portion, that population of condors. And that involved giving out free and discounted uh, lead-free ammunition, a lot of education. Um, and really, the crux of that is, you know, it's really hard to estimate compliance rates, especially in hunting, because mm-hmm. there's no way to tell the difference between a copper-plated tipped bullet that has a lead core versus a copper bullet, copper-tipped bullet. Um, so, of the estimated compliance rates in California, I think the estimated compliance is probably less than eighty percent right now. And at the Kaibab, it's over ninety percent with the voluntary program. And for us, as data-driven folks, that was really good evidence to show that with proper education and messaging and outreach, you know voluntary programs can be more effective than trying to tell people what to do when they don't understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. What I liked about the results of that was it was also an option Yeah. in the Kaibab. It was like, look, we, we get it. If you don't want to, okay, but can you bring the carcass out, not leave the fragments there? I don't think the option was to bury it. They did have um, a berry option. They did have a berry option. Yeah. And, but that's and something they, to talk about too, right? That even if you don't shoot lead, if you don't shoot copper, there are alternatives to mitigate lead going into the system. Yeah, you bet. And But I mean, I'll say as an elk hunter, 
I'm not sure I'm going to sled out my gut pile. Um, I got enough meat to get out of the field, but you know, in slinging the antelope gut pile out into the truck, sure, that's not a problem. Um, but yeah, there are other options. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, to go back to the science on like, why are we even talking about this? Like, what's the scale of the problem? Like you mentioned, you know, right. 4% of eagle, bald eagle populations, one or 2% of golden eagle populations. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way from a study that I did here in Wyoming. So um, for a number of years, I was testing ravens and eagles, bald eagles um, for lead and opening weekend of hunting season, you see those leads, those lead levels spike um, two weeks after they go down. And about two thirds of the bald eagles had what we call elevated lead levels. Is it enough to kill them? Well, about a third had enough to kill them. So I just I designed this experiment where we handed out free lead free ammunition in, in, the, in one year. And then the next year I didn't have enough money. So we sold it at cost with uh, uh, Cabela's as a partner. And year one, about 23% of hunters used lead free ammunition. 25%, we saw a 25% decrease in the lead of the eagles. Mm -hmm. Year two, about 34% of hunters used lead-free ammunition. We saw almost a perfect correlation, about a 33% drop of the lead levels in the eagles. So it really showcased that, yes, like you changing your behavior in ammunition will significantly affect the birds that are in your area. Amazing. I like that a lot. Yeah, it was... Um, it was an eye opener. And honestly, you know, the data were so perfectly correlated that I was afraid people were going to think I was making it up. But <laughs> it, it was it was accurate. And, um, you know, we've seen that in evidence uh, in other areas uh, like Europe and Japan with other eagle species as well. And so we know it works. Um, will we really get getting it in Japan? There's not a very big hunting culture in Japan. Are we talking like lead? weights for fishing and whatnot no it was big game hunting with stellar sea eagles and i don't know the nuance of like how the hunting um came into place and so japan is actually one of the areas that has mandated lead-free ammunition because mm. of stellar sea eagles which are i believe an endangered species over there i know um, they hunt pigs and i know there's some bear there but i don't know if they hunt bear or not yeah i believe it was northern japan um and it did significantly, the stellar sea eagle population did respond positively to that. Wow. Um, but again, you know, that was banned. We are still just promoting, you know, just a lot of folks don't know about this. And, you know, people shouldn't feel bad or shamed that, you know, they have used lead or, you know, they're for generations we've used lead. But, you know, now that we can arm people with the information, you know, they can make the, the right choice that's that's good for themselves and, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, what their their conservation uh, ethics are. Did that study start sporting literary? Yeah. I did the classic science thing. You know, I have been a scientist. I uh, did the science. I published the papers and I said, my job is done. I, fin I solved this problem. Ten years later, we're still seeing a lot of eagles with lead ingestion, and uh, so that's why we decided decided to start sporting lead free. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, a lot of people think about bald eagles, especially across most of North America. Um, and bald eagles are doing great. Best conservation story we have for wildlife in North America. Awesome. Golden eagles, on the other hand, are not. At best, they're stable, mostly declining in a lot of their range across the lower 48. And so. Well, one or 2% of the population doesn't sound big. 
it is significant when you take into account long-term population growth. So these birds live 30, 35 years. Think about it. It's not just 1%. It's compound interest. So do you want your bank account to make, you know, 0.3% or 3%? It makes a significant mm-hmm. difference over the generational span of these eagles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to just fill in a fact check real quick. Um, so that study was done, that the study in Japan on the stellar sea eagles, um, they were hunting Sitka deer. Oh. And Robbie, I can send you that study if you'd like. Look at you Google searching whilst we're talking. <laughs> we got it. You know, we have to get the facts straight over here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, let me say this, um, you know, I'm I'm certainly a, a proponent of of an option. I'm certainly a proponent of, hey, if this is something you want to see and you want to try for yourself, great. Um, I'm certainly a big fan of non-regulatory measures um, on something like this because specifically, as I started this podcast about the barriers of entry to hunting is already very very burdensome on someone trying to get into hunting. So I appreciate you guys. Um, where can people find more about sporting lead free? Um, so you can visit our website and that's www.sportingleadfree, all one word, .org. We also are very active on social media, primarily Instagram, and that's at sporting lead free. And we not only have all sorts of resources and great content on our website and social, but we also really like to engage with the sporting community who who is kind of with us on this mission of, of going lead free. So we have a free membership program, and then we also have an ambassador program, and we're working on a state representative program where that that person um, might live maybe in Montana or over in New Hampshire, and they want to get involved at a deeper level. So we're working on that. And then we're also working on a conservation partner um, aspect of how you can get involved with us. So there's no shortage of how you want to get involved. You can dip your toe in or you can jump on in fully with us. Um, Any any level we would love. So please, please find out more. Ask us questions. We love these hard questions, these hard discussions, because they're important. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you probably have thought of this, but I I just had a brain fart. I like to use the word brain fart, but people are like that's not typically something that comes bad out of your mouth, Robbie. It's typically really good. Um, have you thought about approaching these ammunition manufacturers and say, give us a discount code? Yes, we've been talking about that. Uh, Hannah's about- laughing. <laughs> we, we've been having a lot of Robbie, that's not a brilliant idea. <laughs> we've thought of it already. Well, one of the things, you know, and to your point on, and you know, barriers of entry, what we want to do is work with youth hunting organizations and organizations that are helping engage in, in promote new hunters. And, you know, we would love to be that conduit to help provide those programs with lead-free options for folks to try. Because as we know, you know, changing behavior is difficult, but starting is, you know, starting one way is easy. And, and if we could get you, uh, young hunters and youth hunters and anglers to start using lead-free ammunition, they're, they're probably going to use that for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I think that's a, a great, great point. And if any manufacturers are out there and want to discuss that with us, we welcome your phone call. Awesome. Awesome. Well, appreciate you guys. Um, it was a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on.
Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.